What is the meaning of life? Welcome to the Biblically Correct Podcast. Shalom, y'all. Welcome to the Biblically Correct Podcast, teaching biblical correctness in a biblically incorrect world. My name is Kevin Jeffrey. I'm a Jewish follower of the Messiah Yeshua, Jesus, and I love teaching the scriptures. Who am I? Why do I exist? Where do I belong? What is the meaning of life? When we ask ourselves these types of questions, if we ever do at all, we tend to think of them in philosophical terms, that among many possible answers and avenues to contemplate, that there is a truth about ourselves out there that we can rationally figure out or at minimum intellectually pursue. And if we can put our finger on it, then we can build our values and principles upon it, conduct ourselves according to those principles, and then make a life that reflects what we think we know. But even though the question, what is the meaning of life, comes from a philosophical mindset, I would argue that the answer isn't philosophical at all. Because as followers of the Messiah Yeshua, Jesus, we're not supposed to have philosophical thoughts floating around in our heads much less live our lives according to philosophical conclusions. Now, I would argue that if we do find ourselves asking or being asked the question, that the answer isn't philosophical, but theological, or perhaps more accurately, biblical. But more to the point, I would contend that the answer to the question, what is the meaning of life, is not something that we need to search for or contemplate, but that the answer has already been given to us in the Bible, literally encapsulated in a single verse. I'm not trying to be cute here. I'm telling you that whether you're just lying around, staring at the stars, pondering the universe, or if you're in real dire straits, throwing your hands up in defeat and wondering what's the use of it all, I'm telling you that the Bible doesn't just have an answer. It has the answer. And that if you can accept it, not only will it answer all your other existential questions, it will change your life. So I'm not going to leave you in suspense here. I'm going to tell you what the meaning of life really is, and then I'm going to walk us through what that life is supposed to look like. And the answer is found in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Let me give you some quick background here. Israel had been in the desert for 40 years after God had powerfully set them free from slavery in Egypt. During that time, God was actively leading them, teaching them through Moses what kind of people he wanted them to be, and preparing them to enter into the promised land. Then on the first day of the 11th month of their final year in the desert, Moses started to speak to the people of Israel, reviewing everything that God had commanded him to say to them, along the way. And this is essentially the bulk of the book of Deuteronomy. It's Moses's very last words to his people. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 30 is right near the end of the book, and it contains Moses's closing thoughts just before he passes the torch to Joshua. Leading up to this chapter, Moses has been, had been expounding at length about blessings and curses, and which ones Israel would receive depending upon how she behaved because God knew that they would soon turn away from him and be scattered all over the earth. But in Deuteronomy 30, Moses begins to explain to the people how Israel would eventually return to God, what that return would look like, and the choice they would have to make to receive the greatest blessing of all. 
Beginning in verse 19, Moses reveals to Israel the meaning of life. I have caused the heavens and the earth to testify against you today. Life and death I have set before you, the blessing and the curse. So choose life so that you will live, you and your seed, to love the Lord your God, to listen to his voice, and to stick close to him. For he is your life and the length of your days. He is your life. God is your life. We find purpose and meaning of life by choosing to live for God. And Moses tells us exactly what he means by this. We choose that meaningful life when we love the Lord our God, and we show him we love him when we listen to his voice by doing what the scriptures say, and when we stick close to him when we resist going our own way. When we do these things, the God of Israel becomes our life. The creator of the universe becomes our purpose, our goal, our whole reason for being. Now, let's stop and think about this for a minute. Can that really be all that a meaningful life is supposed to be? Does that even sound like a fulfilling life to you, for your life to just be all about loving God? Well, if you don't know the God of Israel and the Messiah Yeshua, Jesus, then probably not. It tells you to love something that you're not even sure exists, to listen to a voice that has no authority, and to stick close to someone you may very well want to avoid. It doesn't speak directly to your needs and your unique circumstances, at least not as far as you know. But if you do believe in God, if you do follow Yeshua, then this should be a compelling, extremely satisfying and liberating answer for you, because this means that the search for meaning is over. Hopefully, the more you think about it, you'll find this shockingly simple answer unbelievably profound as you begin to realize that the God who gave you life once and then gave it to you again desires your extreme love and attention, not for his sake, but for yours. He is your life is all the meaning a follower of Yeshua should need. In this one simple phrase, God has encapsulated the entire meaning of life. Now, let's unpack this because we need to see clearly, as clearly as possible, what this kind of life looks like. We need to understand as best we can what it really means to choose a life that is all about living for God. Now, in addition to paying attention to God's word and clinging to him, Moses teaches us that there are many other ways that we're supposed to love God. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, he puts it this way, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And the master Yeshua includes with that list in Luke chapter 10, verse 27, and with all your understanding. In other words, the scriptures teach us that loving God is to be done with our whole being in every aspect of who we are, what drives us, what fills us, how we spend our time, finances, energy, and resources, in what we think and believe, we are to be wholly given over to God. Next, in Deuteronomy chapter 11, Moses talks about what we're supposed to do with that wholehearted, entire being devotion. And he tells us in verse 13, to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. 
So with that whole being devotion with which we are to love our creator, we then demonstrate that love by serving him, by working for him, not as an unwilling slave as in Egypt, but as a friend and a willing servant of God. Our efforts serve his ends. Our pursuits serve his goals. His will is our delight and his word is our command. Also in Deuteronomy chapter 11, Moses talks about loving God in terms of how we keep or guard what he tells us to do. In verse 1, he says, And you must love the Lord your God and guard his statutes and his judgments and his commands all the days. And in verse 22, he adds that we are to guard absolutely this whole command which I am commanding you. When we guard or keep or obey God's commands and do it absolutely, it means that we are protecting their integrity, that we are not letting any other thoughts or influences infringe upon God's authority in our lives. Guarding the Word of God demonstrates our love for Him because it shows that we elevate and esteem His Word above all others. It says that we will pay attention to and do what he says, even when it's completely opposed to other things we want or everything we're being told by other voices to believe. And finally, continuing in verse 22, regarding God's word, Moses says that we are to do it, to love Adonai your God, to walk in all his ways, and to stick close to him. In his word, God has laid out for his people instructions on how to live and behave, not so that he can control us, but to keep us under his protection and focused on living that life in him that we chose to accept. Loving God is not just something we think or feel. It's something we do. It's putting into practice what he says, not simply knowing his commands, but doing them. When we do his commands and walk in his ways, it causes us to stick close to him and not wander off following our own inclinations. So loving and living for God means that we are to completely give ourselves over to him, willingly and wholeheartedly serve him, maintain the integrity of his word in our lives, and put that word into practice. And in case there's any question about what loving Yeshua looks like compared to the way Moses describes loving God, consider this comparison between the word of Moses and the teaching of the master. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 16, Moses tells us to love Adonai your God, to walk in his ways, and to guard his commands. And Yeshua tells us in John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, you will pay attention to my commands. Moses and Yeshua are saying the exact same thing. The way we are supposed to love God has never changed. Loving God may begin in our hearts, but it works itself out through actions in the form of doing what God commands us to do. It's more than feeling emotional toward God or giving mental assent to what he says. We show our love for God by putting his will and his word above all all others, especially our own. To love the Lord your God, to listen to his voice, to pay attention to what he says, to walk in all his ways, and to cling to him. This is the meaning of life. So, 
if loving God is what gives life meaning, then how should we view such a love? Can we just be flighty or sentimental about it? Or is it something that we have to take seriously? Well, as we've already seen, Moses would say that it's a matter of life and death. In fact, the Master Yeshua also teaches us about the weight and heaviness of this love, putting it into perspective by contrasting it with the love we have both for others and ourselves. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 37 through 38, for example, Yeshua teaches us that he who is loving his father or mother above me is not worthy of me, and he who is loving his son or daughter above me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his execution stake and follow after me is not worthy of me. For anyone who loves their parents or children, this can be a particularly hard word to stomach. On a natural level, we instinctively know that we're supposed to have a truly abiding love for our family, something beyond affection, a deep and lasting commitment. But look at how Yeshua frames his message here. Not only is anyone who loves his parents or children more than they love him, not worthy of being his disciple. But neither is someone who loves himself more than he loves Yeshua. This is brought out a little more clearly in the parallel passage in Luke chapter 14. But if we say we love Yeshua, yet fail to take up our own execution stakes and follow after him, then we are not loving him, but ourselves. The point is that when we say that God is our life, that he is our meaning, our reason for being, It means that we are to love him more than anyone and everything in our entire life. In fact, this is the very basis upon which my wife and I built our marriage, and it's what we've always taught our children. Everyone else, even the people we most love and are most committed to, even they are at best a distant second to our love for and commitment to God. The master is exhorting us here to love him above all others so that we can fix our eyes solely on him and truly know the heights and depths of selfless, self-sacrificial love. Because only when we give ourselves completely to God can we fulfill his purpose for us in the earth. We cannot love others the way Yeshua loves us, the way God loves us, if we are unwilling to not only give completely of ourselves, but to give ourselves up completely to him, to forsake our desires, our comforts, our agendas, our plans, our fears, our anxieties, our control, ourselves. The master describes this kind of selfless life for us in Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 25, when he tells us that if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his execution stake daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake, he will save it. For what is a man benefited, having gained the whole world, yet having lost or having forfeited himself? In order to love God more than we love ourselves, we have to love like Yeshua loves. We have to be self-sacrificial, willing to lay down our lives, to leave ourselves behind, to give up and deny ourselves, so that as we lose our lives, we will gain his life in turn and be saved. Moses and Yeshua are telling us the exact same thing. Moses says, choose life, choose God, so that you will live. Yeshua says, 
whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. They're both saying to us, he is your life. The way to life is Moses' way and Yeshua's way. By laying down and emptying yourself, then making your life all about doing the will of God. Following God and doing what he says is the meaning of your life. Whenever we ask the question, what is the meaning of life? It's usually in the context of the life we're presently living, a life that we've been taught to aim and shoot for without question, a life inundated with obvious targets such as career, status, home, significant other, leisure, security, and more. And so it's from these various areas of our life that we mistakenly derive our identity and worth. So when we pursue these ends, this essentially translates into a life with the primary goal of achieving personal happiness and satisfaction, job fulfillment, feeling valued, doing things you enjoy, acquiring stuff you want, and having a positive self-image is what then defines a happy, healthy life. So the lie that society perpetuates, the lie that we've fully bought into, is that the purpose of your life is more than living for God. For a follower of Yeshua, this philosophy tricks us into believing that we're living for God when all we've done is make a little room for him in our already crowded lives. This way, God becomes just a single component of our personal fulfillment to the extent that we even notice that he's barely there at all. But according to the scriptures, God is not just some small or even large part of our lives. He is your life, and there is literally nothing that shares his position. Loving God, listening to his voice, and sticking close to him is more than enough. And when we find our sole meaning in this, then we are truly choosing to live. Yes, God still has a specific, perhaps even unique thing that he wants you to do. And there are, is still a particular function that he has for you in the body of Messiah. Yes, you are still to have goals and aspirations and work to excel in various areas of life. But none of this means that your personal satisfaction, happiness, or meaning is the goal. It means that whatever you do, you're to do and be what God has for you for his glory and his satisfaction, because he is your life. This is the essence of what Paul is, tells us in Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 through 24, that whatever you do, do it out of your soul as to the master and not to men. Having known that from the master, you will receive the payment of the inheritance. It is the master, Messiah, you serve. So no matter who you are, where you live, what kind of work you do, how much money you make, whether you're married or single, starting a family or have had one for a really long time. Be godly in all you do. Strive for goodness and excellence with everyone and in everything. But the purpose of your life is to love God and to serve and to follow the Messiah. This is the entire meaning of he is your life. For in him, we live and move and be. Acts chapter 17, verse 28. The truth about ourselves and the universe 
cannot be divined by philosophical musings, scientific inquiry, or intellectual reasoning. Only the God of Israel, the creator of all things, can define for us what is meaningful and what is vanity. Our significance and value as disciples of Messiah is not derived from any occupation or title or identity or relationship. It doesn't depend on our paycheck, position, or personality. If you are in the Messiah Yeshua, your life has meaning because the God of the universe chose you and gave you that meaning. Now it's your choice whether or not you will accept his definition. The meaning of life comes from loving Adonai, our God, with our entire being, listening to his voice and serving him, guarding his word, walking in his ways, and giving up and denying ourselves. So choose life so that you will live, and then lose your life so that you will get it back. Make God your whole reason for being, and then live that life solely for him. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Biblically Correct Podcast. If you like this episode and want to see us make more, then we need your help. Visit our website at biblicallycorrectpodcast.org to support the work of Perfect Word Ministries and MJMI through your much-needed donations. And of course, don't forget to like, share, comment, subscribe, and ring the bell to receive notifications whenever a new episode is posted. If you have any questions about this teaching or if there are any other topics you'd like to see me cover, then leave me a comment or shoot me an email at kevin at perfectword.org. That's kevin at perfectword.org. Until next time, remember that every scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for refuting, for setting a right, and for instruction that is in righteousness, so that the man of God may be fully equipped, having been completed for every good act. Shalom. Shalom.